Faith bought her first investment property at just the age of 24 and has continued to invest since then and also develop property over the past three years. She documents her property journey and teaches others how to achieve financial freedom through property investing via YouTube channel, The Property Hustle. Faith, welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you? Hello and welcome to Woke Finance, the podcast discussing all things finance and all things finance related. It's your boy Peter and I'm with my bro, my co-host Jax. How are you, man? What's going on, Peter? Um, I am excited again. We've got a special guest, um, someone I know personally. I'm so excited to hear her speak. I've spoken on her channel as well. So this is her opportunity to be on my space and we can share ideas. And I'm sure a lot of our viewers and listeners are going to gain tons of value from hearing us speak. Absolutely, absolutely, man. We've got a great episode in store for our listeners. And as Jack said, we're welcoming a special guest. Before I do that, just a massive shout out to all of our listeners all over. If you're listening to this right now, you're supporting us, man. So thank you very much. We are grateful for you wherever you are. And just a reminder to do the usual on the socials as well and share with those you feel it, this can add value to. So without further ado, we are going to welcome our special guest today. Okay, and today we have Faith Lodge 10. Um, Faith is a property investor, developer and a commercial surveyor. She has over eight years experience in the property industry, including roles in estate agency, valuation, investment and development. Faith bought her first investment property at just the age of 24 and has continued to invest since then and also developed property over the past three years. She documents her property journey and teaches others how to achieve financial freedom through property investing via YouTube channel, The Property Hustle, which some of you may already know her from. So without further ado, Faith, welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. Um, this is, yeah, amazing. And you got my name right, which not everyone does. So thank you. <laughs> for, for our listeners, I did actually have to just confirm a couple of times, but that will be edited out. But yes, <laughs> it is great. But yeah, just a massive welcome. Um, and thank you very much for agreeing to join us here on this uh, particular episode, which is going to take a deep dive into your journey and focus more around the property investing um, side of things um, in terms of when it comes to your story. Um, but Faith, my old just be good and um, we're obviously in a dodgy time we're we're in may going into june by the time this is released um 2021 so we are by the looks of it coming out of the worst of things in terms of the pandemic but it'll be good just to hear how you've been during this season wow oh my goodness i don't know if we have enough time to go through <laughs> how i've been do you know what it's been i can only thank god for that I'm I'm here I'm well my family like most of my family is good and well um it 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 was a time of it was tough I'm not gonna lie it was tough but it was a it was good because it allowed me to really take stock and I think a lot of people did um of like what's actually important to me and to my journey and I was able to use that harness it and then move into a, what I'm calling now like the next stage of my career and life so yeah it's it's it was tough but lessons learned um 
and I wouldn't have had it any other way to be honest no brilliant man definitely understand that regarding you know some of the challenges that we all might have uh, faced during this season but probably more importantly the learnings man so it'll be good to get a bit more into yourself and your background so I guess without further ado it'll be good to understand a bit more about yourself and faith your background uh, where you're from what you're currently doing how you got there as well Mm. so I whenever anyone asks me where I'm from I always have to say I was born in Uganda so I'm Ugandan I'm British Ugandan um, and I came over here I was probably about I'd say age three and a half going on four um, so we a family came over here as refugees because um, we were fleeing the civil war back there um, and yeah grew up in a council flat in southeast London um, went to a really decent school actually I was fortunate enough to um to win a full scholarship to my local independent school um where I did a lot I, I did everything I was always that kid that um I just loved everything I loved maths I loved science I loved just any anything I loved to learn um and so it was it was a great school for me to go to because it was kind of one of those schools that really pushed you and nurtured you and and, and let you do what you wanted to do Mm. um to a certain extent and then I I mean I always wanted to be a structural engineer or a, a mechanical engineer there was something about engineering I wanted to design Formula One cars I was just like had this mindset of I want to be an engineer and I really loved physics astrophysics specifically um and then I got to year 12 and year 13 and I was just like yeah I'm not I'm, I'm, I don't really I didn't I realized I don't like the experiment side of things I didn't realize how much you know how everyone else at school really liked the experiments and found that the fun bit? I actually liked the theoretical bit more and I liked to like learn more and understand more and have the, I didn't really care for, you know, setting up the apparatus, carrying out the, the research, then, then logging it and doing it over and over again and then coming to your conclusion. I didn't really like that. For me, it was just like, this is a mess. I don't have to tidy up. So <laughs> I just kind of learned, I was like, hey, so mechanics is out. I'm not going to be an engineer. Let's face it. Okay, what can I take forward? And I'd done languages. I'd done Spanish at A-level, which I really enjoyed. And I loved communicating with people. I loved traveling. Um, so I was like, okay, let me go and do languages. Did not tell my mum. I was, uh, <laughs> I didn't tell my mum that I was going for that. She thought she was going to have this, you know, doctor or this engineer for, you know, classic African mum. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I applied got got accepted to Nottingham University um to uh, to do languages I did Spanish and Mandarin um, and I still remember the day I told my mom she literally lined up every man and their dog to tell me not to do languages and was like what are you going to do where are you going to be how are you going to make money so um it was yeah I managed to fight through that um and I think I have my brother to thank because my brother who's um four years older than me he went the you know off off the track as well he went off to do acting um uh, which my mum didn't like so I knew that if he could do it I could I could change paths and it would be fine um so I ended up at Nottingham Uni did languages and that's where I met Jax actually um at Notts um and absolutely loved it with my year abroad but throughout this time I'd always had an interest in property and it's so cliche but like I think from like age 15 I was watching all the property shows particularly like Homes Under the Hammer um and because I was the last of like 10 siblings a lot of my siblings are considerably older than me so where other kids my age were maybe 
watching you know the kids shows I was watching kind of the adult type shows because that's what my siblings were watching and so I fell in love with property I loved the idea of um making a house a home and I think having come from the background that I've come from you know when you're like hearing the stories that my mum would tell me about them fleeing and them not really ever having like a, a proper home um it kind of gave me the the passion and the drive to to want to develop and to want to build something that would offer people shelter homes and and be a lasting legacy so that was kind of always in the back of my mind but at school you're never really taught you know real estate can be a career you never know that real estate can be a degree so I went off and did languages and it was in my I think it was my first year um I think it was January of my first year and I was meant to be revising for my exams and um my friend I was on so I was on Savills's website. Um, so Savills are a big real estate agency. Um, most people will know them because they, they sell predominantly residential, but they also do commercial. And there was a, the road that I was living on at uni, there was a house not too far from me that I had seen it. And I remember looking at it and thinking, that's a great prop, uh, property development or investment opportunity. So then when the board went up to say that it sold, I was like, mm, I wanted to know how much it sold for. And I used to play this game with myself where I'd look at a property and think, OK, um, think about what I thought it might be worth or what someone might buy, buy it for. And then I would try Like once it sold, I would try and track down to find out how close I was to the price. Sit that, yeah, very. Yeah, that, that, that was me. <laughs> this is kind of how my brain works. Yeah, but guess anyway. what? <laughs> um, and so I thought, I thought okay it's sold so I went on their website Savills's website to see how much the property had gone for um, and my friend turned to me he was just like hey if you love property so much why don't you go into that as a career mm. and that's when the light bulb went off in my head I thought oh okay so I googled careers in property um, and well actually I went to Savills's website because I thought oh maybe I can work at Savills and I saw that they had a summer internship coming up um, and I thought, okay, that's great, but I have zero property experience. So if I want to apply for that internship, when, when the application is open, I need some property experience behind me. So I, in that exact moment, pushed my books to the side, um, wrote up a, a CV and a covering letter um, and sent it to all the local estate agents in the Nottingham area. I think I sent out like 30 different like cold emails. Mm. Um, and one agent came back to me and um, they were like a small um, startup agency in Beeston, if anyone knows the Nottingham area. And, um, and at the time I was living off campus, so quite close to Beeston. Um, and I thought this, this is perfect. And when I spoke to the, the manager of the, of the agency, he said they would, they would welcome, because basically I wrote that I was happy to, I was like, I want to work. I, I just want to work. I'm, I'm happy to do it for free. You know, you don't need to pay me. So I got successfully got a, a place with them. Um, and so I moved my university schedule around to create a, um, uh, so my, I was quite fortunate actually, because I did languages, we had zero, like pretty much no contact hours. <laughs> like I would probably be in uni, maybe anywhere between sort of six to eight hours a week. So I was able to re, like rearrange my schedule to make Tuesdays free. And on Tuesdays I would go into the office and I worked as a residential sales assistant. So I was helping their sales manager. And that was fun because I got to go and basically meet people that were looking to sell their houses and we'd put it on the market, et cetera, et cetera. So it just got me that little bit closer. That coupled with, I did a two week internship with the startup um, serviced office company. Those two um, pieces of work experience was what I used to then apply to Savills' summer internship. 
and I interned with their commercial development team. Then I went my year abroad and in my mind I was like I want I want to do an internship in China like that will look amazing on my CV and I want it to be in the property related area. So then I managed to get um, uh, a scholarship with the British um, Council um, and they put me in an architectural firm and I did two months in an architectural firm in Shanghai when I was out in China. Um, and then I came back and I applied to like various different graduate schemes. And because I hadn't um, done um, property as a degree, I had to do a property like a master's in real estate. So I did my master's in real estate finance and investment. And that was actually funded by the company that I worked for at the time. Um, they're called JLL and they are similar to Savills, a big uh, real estate agency consultancy service. So I did, yeah, did my graduate scheme there, qualified as a chartered surveyor, um, worked there for an additional two years until last year happened. Um, and everything, I then, you know, took stock and I was like, I want to be working like full, full-time development. How do I do that? Applied to various different uh, development management roles. And I'm now um, at the company that I'm at now, which is Countryside Properties. And I manage a large regeneration scheme in Enfield. So yeah, sorry about the the longness of that, but that is that is me. Oh, I mean, I haven't wow, wow. Uh, yeah <laughs> haven't really touched on the property investment side of things, but Def we can get onto that. Yeah, absolutely, and definitely no need to apologize. That's just amazing to hear your story. I know you could even go into every single thing, but the highlights in terms of your stories from where you started and the the you know the typical start of doing what um, might be stereotypical in an African household, whether it's engineering, doctor, et cetera, and then you come into a realisation that might not be the path you want to go down to um, mm. and then end up where you um, have ended up. It's just amazing. And it'll be good to later on to hear a bit more about how China was as well. But Jacks, we speak about this all the time in terms of you can you can plan certain things from when you're young but you just never know where your life is going to lead you and that's just part of the excitement of life yeah I couldn't agree more I couldn't and sometimes you just have to be and let it be and just kind of see how it goes absolutely absolutely you know I I <laughs> I tell people you know when I talk about my story that you know there were times where um, and actually, the times you met me, um, there was a period where um, I was going through what I call heartbreak. And I'm not talking about relationships. I'm talking about at that time, I really thought um, I was going to become this economist. Um, I had spent all my years studying economics um, and I applied for the government economic service, got to the final stage and then I got rejected. And I was absolutely gutted that um, I didn't achieve what I thought was destined for me. Now, when I look back, I am over the moon that I didn't actually get that <laughs> get that um, yeah. well, that uh, graduate scheme because as time has gone on, I realized actually my passion and what's really for me is much more on the investment management side. And I still mm. obviously get to use my um, macroeconomic knowledge and microeconomic knowledge that I picked up from um, my academia. So yeah, PR, you're absolutely right. And I think that's the key. Now I'm, I'm a Christian and I believe just having a, a good relationship with God and leaving things to God, ultimately you end up in the right place anyway. And we shouldn't spend too much time, um, you know, stressed about where we are uh, today um, and not try too hard to plan too far forward. I say, of course, be proactive and intentional about what you're trying to achieve, but always, always try to do things um, 
in, in a specific type of way without stressing yourself too much. Mm. Absolutely. And what I like about your story, Faith, is that, yes, of course, uh, you recognise you that your education wasn't in property, but you after you finished um, your uni, do correct me if I'm wrong, you then went and done a master's around property? Uh, it was real estate finance and investment, and it was a part-time master's whilst I was working full-time. So it was probably the most difficult part of my life. And it was also the time when I decided I wanted to get into property investing. So my, my life was just manic. Um, I look back now and I think, how did I do it? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the thing though, isn't it? Um, like, for example, myself, um, after having a degree in economics, when you move into an industry that's a bit more um, specific, even if you've got a financial type of degree like I did, I still then had to go and do the investment management certificate, which is a bit more specified. Um, but, you know, Faith, you know how it is. Once you're someone who's um, a hard worker, things are not always too hard, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, Definitely. And obviously it is true that the older you get, you know, you kind of lose a tiny bit of that momentum. And which is why I encourage a lot of the um, young listeners, you know, what finance we focus on educating, especially the um, the, the young generation. Um, that is the purpose of um, our social enterprise, even though obviously our podcast is for everyone to listen to. But when I when we mentor the young people, I always, always, always encourage them. To, to, to be proactive, um, especially in their youth, because when you have that energy and that drive, you can really, really maximise your potential very early on. Definitely. And also for any of the young listeners listening, you your mistakes are more easily forgiven. Mm. Like if I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, I would have I would have bought a property whilst I was still at studying at university. I left uni, and we'll, we'll touch on this a bit later when you ask about... Um, we talk about relationship with finance but I left uni with like six grand in savings which at the time I didn't even think that it was a lot but when people and I tell people that oh my gosh how how I'm like because I'm I'm a miser like I do not spend I would Jack you know that walk up Derby Road Hill to get to town like (laughs) I would not take the bus it was only one pound for students my legs can get me to from A to B <laughs> spending a pound. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, it was talking about that actually. Do you know, it's like now one pound 50 or two pounds or something to take that same, but anyway. The power of inflation, the power of inflation. I am, yeah, I almost screamed when I went back the um, a few months back and I was just like, this is not, this is a joke. How am I spending this much money to take the bus? But anyway. Um, <laughs> well, we're definitely going to go into that because when I introduced you, you know, I said you bought your first investment property um, age 24. And mm. that's, I don't know about you and the circles you roll in, but that's something that doesn't happen every day. So mm. we're definitely going to talk a bit more about some of the things that you've done to even get to that. One of the things that you just mentioned in terms of your, your finances as well. So that's really interesting. Um, you're now a chartered uh, surveyor. So uh, congrats. What does that actually mean? And what does that allow you to do? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that is a good question. I've been a lot of, on a lot of podcasts, but I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Um, to be a, to be honest, um, it's quite a lot. Like surveying in general, it's a very like big industry. You can specialize in so many different things. Um, I did general practice route, which uh, on the commercial pathway, which essentially means you kind of do a bit of everything during your graduate rotations, and then you can choose to specialize later down the line 
Um, and that's if someone is, is looking to get into kind of the corporate professional side of property, I would always advise doing a more gen general pathway to allow you to later specialize. But a surveyor could be anything from the person that comes to value your house, the building surveyor that might look at a property to tell you if it's structurally sound. Um, it could be someone who's buying and selling office buildings, retail parks, you know, healthcare facilities. You can be, you could pretty much do anything um, as a chartered surveyor. It just depends on what your kind of preference is. So when I qualified, I worked in investment and development. So what we call capital markets. So I was working in the city of London um, and I was buying and selling essentially offices but uh, from an investment and development perspective. So for example, I sold, I don't know if anyone knows, Blackfriars Crown Court um, in Southwark. Um, the Ministry of Justice were kind of uh, rationalizing their portfolio and selling off a lot of their courts and prisons, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and I was part of the team that was able to kind of bring that property to market and was able to sell it. Um, what did we sell it for in the end? I think it was like 64 million pounds or something like that. So um which to me just sounds like it's, it's honestly it's crazy once you once you're dealing with certain numbers you forget the significance of it like to me 64 million doesn't even sound like a lot because I know you know I had colleagues in my team selling 300 million pound offices so it's just it's mad it's it's like the level <laughs> the level is crazy you stop thinking about the numbers per se like it just becomes another zero at the end but yeah um surveying chartered surveying is, is basically everything you can do anything um we're all kind of monitored by a board so the royal institution of chartered surveyors so you'll often see rics or mrics after someone's name um lets you know that they're part of that body and that means we're all regulated um and you know we have certain duties to follow and ways in which we should carry out work etc wow so I can imagine how hectic uh, that is uh, for you, hence why you're always kept on your toes. But um, brilliant. Thanks for going into a bit more um, into that. And as, as we just uh, mentioned a few minutes ago as well, um, you spoke a bit more about, you know, how uni life was for you, your relationship with money. It would be good to understand a bit more about what was your relationship with uh, finance growing up um, and has it changed um, when you look at yourself now? Um, yes and no. I have always, I think because of the background, because we essentially, we grew up poor, you know, single parent household. My mum worked uh, numerous jobs to keep, you know, food on the table, et cetera, et cetera. I don't like to dwell on that too much because I'm not someone that, you know, I don't, I, I think um, you should always think positively and mm. um, look at things from a positive light. But that, that was the reality of the situation. But, um, and so for my mum, it was like, as soon as we could, we could, she was like, you need to work, you need to earn money. So my first, what was my first, I think I was 12. Um, technically I wasn't went to be working, but shout out to Mr. Raja, because um, he, he hooked me up with the paper round. Um, <laughs> Mr. Raja, whoever went. Yeah, mate, yeah, mate, Mr. Raja. And do you know what, because um, he was from, their family was, were Ugandan. So a lot of the Indians, like um, sort of around my area and kind of all over London, a lot of them, um, when Idi Amin, I don't know how much you know about Uganda, but Idi Amin kicked out, basically gave all the Asians in Uganda at the time, I think this was back in the, I don't know, 60s, 70s, whenever, mm. um, 90 days to leave the country. Mm. So a lot of like the uh, Indian shops around our area were run by Ugandan Indians. So there was that 
um, connection there. So my mum was like, you know, oh, you know, please help my daughter. Da, 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 da. <laughs> so I started, I started doing my paper round and I think I was getting, was it £25 a week? Um, I didn't have anything to spend that on. So I was just, you know, that was just money being, I guess, saved. Um, and I'd give it to my mum. To, to be fair, like I'm thinking, where did that money go? But hey, um, <laughs> I'd keep some for myself as pocket money and then the rest I'd give to my mum um, to save. And then, and then yeah, and just I just would always just save. I didn't really like spending. Um, I really, I think from a young age, understood the value of money um, and the value of a pound. And not soon after that, I started tutoring. So a lot of people, when they found out that I'd been able to get into a private school, they were like, well, how did your daughter do it? Can she tutor my kids? So then I had like, I think I was tutoring maybe at, at my height, at the height of my tutoring career, I was um, tutoring like six students on a weekend. Um, and that was like, what was that? Maybe I, I was charging, I think at the time only like 10 quid an hour, but every year um, I would increase it a bit more. And I think at one point I was charging like 30 an hour. Um, and this is like age 15 with six kids, like that's 90 quid a weekend um times that by four for the month like I was making serious money um and funnily enough now I look back and think where did that money go though because if I knew then what I know now in terms of investing oh my days I would not even have opened a savings account I would have just gone straight to a junior ISA or something or done something to make that money grow because yeah anyway you don't know what you don't know and sometimes you know I mean a lot of us are trying to break those generational curses at the moment or those you know those the not knowing um but now you you know as we know better we do better but anyway so made quite a bit of money in terms of um uh like just working doing weekend jobs etc babysitting what have you then went off to uni um again just kept that kind of like lifestyle where I didn't really spend too much um I was always yeah keen to just save and so I left uni with like about yeah like I said I think 6k in savings um but looking back I'm like I could have I could have bought back then you know property prices were a lot lot lower in, in the Nottingham area um than they are now so I probably could have bought somewhere um and yeah just started investing sooner but again you just don't know what you don't know and so now um in fact Jackson will remember I sat down with him last year January because I'd always been very good at with property like I know property I understand it I work in it but if you like believe it or not I've never had an ISA you know I've never done anything like investment what like like investing wise so when people think traditionally with investment they think stocks shares bonds what have you um and I just never done any of that I'm trying and, to, uh, I'm, so, I'm trying to recognize his Jackson's face the minute you told him you don't have an ISA account <laughs> <laughs> well you'll be you'll be pleased to know I've recently start, opened one but um so yeah. I, I <laughs> Um, I this year I was like okay I need to take my finances seriously like you know I need I need I need help so I got myself a wealth manager who went when we had our first call and I told him how like heavily invested I was in property he almost had a heart attack he was just like he he hates well he hates property when it doesn't it's not that he hates it he's just like there are better vehicles to 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 put your money in let's let's talk um so yeah so now I'm really I remember when I started work and they were telling me, you know, there's this thing called a pension and, you know, you're going to take money, we're going to take money out of, you can volunteer money out of your monthly paycheck to go to this pot that I'm not going to see until I'm, 
I said, nah, mate, let me give them. I gave the minimum amount at the time. <laughs> I didn't have to give anything. So I gave, it was, I contributed zero. My employer, I think, contributed 2% or whatever it was. Anyway, so that was that. And then I think some kind of law came in where employees had to contribute, I think, a minimum of 2%. So that then, and I remember like being annoyed. I was like, oh, now I'm losing what? I think it was what, 20 quid or 30 quid. It wasn't much coming out of that. I was like, I was annoyed. I was like, it's my money. What are they doing with my money? But this again was me not knowing. Um, and then when I left that firm and I had probably close to, and I don't know if I should be saying this all, but I'm, I'm a big sharer. So I had about, I think 10K in my pension pot when I left that firm. And I look back and I think, dang, now that I know how pensions work, I, I would have been given from day dot, I would have been given the most that I could give. Like I, would have, I would have gone without because now I understand how it works. I'm just like, man, more people need to know about this. More yeah, people I, need to utilize this. Yeah, I, I was just going to ask uh, Jax if you can actually speak to that because that's a genuine thought, you know. I mean, we know we're contributing monthly to our pensions, but some, the, the risk or the temptation to stop contributing to pensions for something else. What are your thoughts around that, Jack? Oh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. And I find it hilarious that um, <laughs> Faith has mentioned, um, you know, pensions and um, things like opting out or, or that kind of stuff. So very, very, very unfortunately, many people, especially from our demographic, have actually opted out because they believe if they opt out, then they get more cash in hand um, after their salary um, um, is, is taken into consideration, which is, well, it's somewhat true in the sense that you get cash in hand, but, you, but what you are foregoing is huge. What you're foregoing is tax benefits um, of having your money put into a pension. You get a tax, um, ba- basically you, the money that goes into a pension is not taxed at all. It's not taxed at source. Mm-hmm. And obviously, especially as the new rule came in, um, the new compliance regulation, sorry, um, it's actually 3%. So employers have to contribute around 3% and take about 5% of your um, salary, um, totaling 8%, which goes into your pension. And it's just one of those things, if you really understand it, you are benefiting from tax efficiency and free money. And so up to now, you're actually losing quite a bit, which is really, really, really a shame. So again, if anyone is listening, of course, things do depend on your individual circumstances. But generally speaking, you want to try and contribute, of course, as much as you can towards um, a pension. And interestingly, Faith, you also mentioned the fact that you spoke to a wealth manager um, and he, when you mentioned how heavily you are invested in property, he, he wasn't too, too pleased. Um, <laughs> from, from the same background, what, I'll, I'll tell you why he, he wasn't too pleased and how we work. Um, a big part of it is when we are speaking to, to clients and forming investment portfolios, it's about kind of understanding the opportunities available, understanding the asset classes, understanding how they all relate to each other, understanding things like leverage, understanding um, how to diversify into a well-diversified portfolio. And I think when you mentioned um, real estate being the majority of your portfolio, some investors um, or wealth managers will look at that and say, hey, potentially you may be over-leveraged. Have you considered um, risks such as liquidity risk? You know, obviously property, you can't buy and sell it immediately. And then they will talk about obviously things that I focus much more on, which are stocks and shares and other paper assets to say, hey, did you know that, you know, the stock market has been the best place to put your money over the past 100 years in terms of returns based obviously on the actual assets in itself. But again, 
again, the key thing is understanding the assets and how they work together, the pros and cons of each. For example, property comes with a tangible asset. You do get mortgages and that kind of stuff. Whereas stocks and shares, you have to buy the assets. So sometimes the returns may be less in terms of income. All about understanding it. But there are different asset classes. There's fixed income products. There's equities. There's real estate. There's other alternative asset classes as well, such as commodities. And even now, I'm sure people will not probably mention it. Even cryptocurrencies can make their way into some people's portfolios as well. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that's actually the key. And I think what's important to remember is you're... In- Yes, it, you're foregoing money now, but you're investing for your future self. Mm. Like when you th- when you deep it, like how late we are now living as people, like we, people are living into their hundreds, mm. you know, calmly. And we stop working around, okay, let's say the earliest you could pull out your pension is 55. That's a whole nother 50 years that you've got to be supplying yourself with an income. Exactly. Do you, like that's when my mind gets, but, and then the fact that, Oh, you're still taxed after that because it's like, I would no yeah. no and, 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 and 55 um so it's 55 if you are 55 by the age of 2028 20, or 57 henceforth and, and the, what people don't realize is 57 is very close by it's not that far away um it's, it's because people are quite short-sighted and they, re- they don't realize that actually and the years go by very, very fast. And just like you said, people are living much, much, much longer and it's projected to be even longer as well. So you have to be very, very intentional about thinking about your future self by, you know, I don't, I don't, even, think it's a, I don't even think it's a sacrifice. You're not sacrificing too much initially by just putting more money into a pension. What I do definitely encourage people to um, do, which helps them psychologically, is to go online head over to what we call a compound interest calculator. Sometimes they refer to it as an investment calculator and plug in the numbers, plug in some numbers as to how much you're contributing and look at the time horizon as well. What you realize from that equation or that calculator is the earlier you start contributing, the more you contribute. And um, in terms of time, the longer you could do it for, the more your money grows exponentially. So you want to start early and you want to contribute as much as you can, of course, within reason. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Absolutely. Um, thanks for that, uh, Jax and Faith as well. And Faith, it's just great hearing your story in terms of relationship with finance. It's clear that you're quite entrepreneurial from a very uh, young age as well. Um, and you've got used to the idea of, you know, generating income in some way, shape or form and, Again, it'll be good to talk a bit more about. So you've got used to generating income in various different ways. You amass a fair bit of um, savings relatively by the time you left uni as well. You want to talk a bit more about property investing when you actually um, what what is property investing to you? What was the key things uh, that actually got you involved in getting that first investment property? Um, so I, I'll start with talking about how I got um, my property. So I started work at the property firm that I started at as a, on the grad scheme. I think I was, 20, so I was 22 when I graduated um, from my first degree and I started work. So I was 22 turning 23 and about a month into starting, I was like, I know I've always wanted to be in property and I'm, I'm glad that I've gotten the role that I've got, but I don't want to just be advising. I want to be doing Mm. Um, and that's when I started looking at okay well how can I actually get my own investment property you know there's no point in me advising people how to invest <laughs> and not have my own 
uh, or be invested myself, like understanding, you know, the risks behind it, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of when I started looking and I, um, I invested in a mentor first and foremost. I think it's so important if you're going to do anything money orientated um, where you're, you know, you're risking your capital. You need to understand it at the time, even though I was working property, I didn't fully understand or appreciate exactly how to go about buying a property. So I went to a lot of kind of free, there's a lot of free education out there, whether it's YouTube, um, like my YouTube channel, The Property House, I talk a lot about property and how to do it. So I, I read books, I went to free courses, I watched YouTube channels. Um, and it was at one of the free courses that I went to that I saw a guy that I thought, do you know what, I liked his spirit, I liked what he was about, I, you know, I wanted to want him to be my mentor. So I went with him, he was a pay, it was a paid um, mentorship course. And when we first started talking, I wanted to, because I didn't have a lot of money at the time, I thought the best, I, I didn't think I could buy property, like a, like a house or whatever. So I thought I would go down um, a different route. Um, there's this investment strategy called rent to rent, where you essentially rent the property as a whole from a landlord. And then you rent out the rooms on an individual basis. Um, and you make a, a little bit of, um, uh, of a profit, any profit on top. Once you've paid the landlord their rent, um, you kind of get to keep that cash in your pocket. It's quite, it's probably one of the more uh, liked strategies because you don't need a lot of capital up front and you don't physically own the property. You're just managing it, you're operating it and you're getting cash from it. And so I thought that was where I wanted to go down. But my mentor said to me, well, what's your ultimate aim? And I said, well, I want to develop I want to be a property developer and he said well there's no point you doing a management strategy because then you're still not going to own property and what people don't realize often is if you want to go down development routes you will most likely require development finance and to get development finance you need to be considered an experienced investor i.e own property so he kind of changed my mindset and I was like okay I can do this I can do this so I started looking for properties at the time in Nottingham oh, sorry in London realized quite quickly I could not afford London given the salary I was on at the time I think it was was it 25k or something I, I just couldn't afford the London prices mm. so then my mentor said well is there anywhere else that you know and you're comfortable uh with in terms of property and I said well I was an estate agent in Nottingham when I was there and I lived there and so I, I know the market and he said okay look in Nottingham and that's where I was like okay I can I found an area that I could afford to buy and that's where I started looking for buy to let. I actually, um, uh, I actually was offered on a property before I fully had all the all the deposit money ready. But I've always been a big believer in like um, just kind of you know going a bit gung ho and just figuring it out. Mm. Um, so I offered on this property. I, I got my brother to back me in terms of um, uh, deposit uh, proof of funds. Um, and then I kind of went through the process, ended up buying. It was quite a long, protracted process. It took about six months to buy. And by that time, I'd actually saved up enough um, to buy the property myself, which you see, like, it was just, it just all worked out. Um, <laughs> there or thereabouts. Anyway, so I bought it and that was uh, my buy to let that I've got. I've still got it in Nottingham. Um, I realise I've been talking a lot and I probably haven't gone into some of the uh, definitions and stuff so do let me know if you want me yeah, to absolutely like, I, I was just gonna ask if you don't mind do you want to 
So you, you was of course on a 25k salary and this, so when, when it came to property, this was you, you went straight into property investing. You didn't buy a residential property first. You went straight into um, a buy to let. Mm. Yeah. 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 Uh, to, looking back, I do wonder if I should have waited and bought somewhere like somewhere for myself first. Mm. Um, because as soon as you buy, if you're buying your first property and it's property investment, um, actually, no, you still, you still have access to, uh, uh, um, oh, certain government grants. Sorry. The mm. na- name has escaped me. Helped yeah, first time buyers, right? right? So like yeah, exactly. exactly. Think, things like that. Yeah. And I did, I did have that thought with myself. I was like, do I, do I forego buying now? Um, and wait and buy later and I can buy my own place and maybe get a two bed and then rent out one of the rooms and then that way it's still a little bit like an investment property but I was just so desperate to get on the development route that I was like no nah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get this you know investment property so yes yeah, so I was on a 25k salary um, the property itself was on the market for 70k at the time um, I think I offered 71 and then they found damp in the properties. I managed to reduce the, the, the purchase price slightly to 69,500. Amazing. So at that price, the deposit required was about, I think, 17 and a half K. And when I offered the property, I think I had about 6K, five or 6K. Um, and then because it took so long to actually eventually buy it because the, the the seller had his accounts hacked or something happened but yeah and then they had to sort the damp out and the damp of course t- took like four weeks to work and just everything took long so in those six months I was like screwing in away saving I was still doing my tutoring um so like any additional money I was earning I was just saving it saving it saving it saving it and then we eventually completed um and yeah so I bought it uh, it was a buy-to-let mortgage so with buy-to-lets you're you're required to put down 25% deposit mm. so that's why it was 17k otherwise if I was buying it as my first home I probably could have bought it with the money that I had there and then mm. it would have been enough for, for a deposit but because I, I was doing things above board um and, which you should do because it's mortgage fraud to buy a property to live as a residential mortgage and then let it out unless you get consent from your your mortgage lender to to let it out um but yeah so 25 percent buy to let mortgage um got managed to get a tenant in there like so quick so the property didn't need that much doing to it to be fair it was quite light touch cosmetic refurb um but i think all in i probably spent about 3k because it was it was 1500 to to do the damp proof course and it was 1500 to do paint and decorating, which I now realize I was bumped because they saw a London investor and they just knew I wouldn't, I, I would pay. Because when they said 1500 to paint and to paint and decorate the whole house, I thought, that's amazing. You know, in London, you're probably looking at like 10K or whatever. And so I happily took it. But now, like years later, I'm, I've got, you know, tradesmen that I work with regularly who do it for like 200 quid, mm. you know, so you know you, you don't know what you don't know until you just get doing it and I'm glad that I kind of just took that leap 
Um, Absolutely. And I guess when we talk a bit more about some of your top tips and things to look out for, I'm sure, you know, making sure that you're getting things at a decent price it will be one of them. And so, um, Faith, I guess just to backtrack, you've you, you've got your first in- investment uh, property um, and you managed to get a tenant in, which by the sounds of it, you managed to get someone in quite fast. Do you want to talk about when you actually got the investment property right up to when you got your first tenant. Do you want to talk about the key stakeholders involved during that time? So for someone who's looking to get into um, property investing, especially that first property, who are the key stakeholders involved? Um, So we, as soon as we completed the property, I went out, I got the keys. Um, I arranged before heading up to nothing. So I'm based in London before going up to Nottingham, I had lined up, I used um, an app, my, mybuilder.com. Mm. So I lined up, I, I used mybuilder.com. I also used recommendations from Facebook groups that I'm part of, like property investors, Facebook groups, mm. um, to get a few, a handful of like um, decorators lined up to come and quote. Um, so I went up there, um, I had a few like decorators come and quote some of them were quoting ridiculously some were less ridiculous and it was the less ridiculous one that I went with um which I now know was probably ridiculous in itself but anyway um so I got them in and what I did was I took pictures of the because the property wasn't in a bad shape like I took pictures of did I take pictures of like the main the, the I think two rooms which weren't so bad in terms of needing decorating um, so I took pictures of those and then went on, I used Open Rent. It's a website where landlords can basically advertise their properties without having to go through an agent. Because um, an agent would charge you probably like 300 quid to do a tenant find. Mm. Um, whereas on Open Rent, you can pay 30 quid, write the advert yourself, and they put it on Rightmove, Supla, all, all of the main kind of uh, portals for, for lettings. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to, I'd rather do that. So <laughs> did, did an open rent advert, had people co- calling me and contact me. And the decorator said they'd only need uh, maybe five days to a week to do the, to the, to finish. So I started booking um, people in for viewings the, the following week. So I went up again the following weekend, did viewings. And I think it was the second person that viewed it on the second day of viewings that he basically was like, I'm not leaving this house until you give it to me. So what do we, what do we need to do um, for you to give it to me? Um, and I think I'd put it on, what did I, I'd, I'd, I'd done my research in terms of looking at what other properties, similar properties were renting for. So that's what we call comparable evidence. So whenever you're, and this, this, this works if, whether you're buying or letting, always try to look to see what other properties are either selling for or letting for that are similar. So if it's a two bed end terrace property, look to see what the, the, the property next door or, or two doors down was let for, et cetera. And you can, you can find a lot of that on Rightmove. They've got like sold house prices, or you can see if you're searching for a letting, you can click um, uh, like properties that have let and it, it will give you. And even if you really want to be extra, um, you can call up the agencies um, and basically pretend that you're looking to, to let a property or, or you're, you're, you're a landlord looking to instruct them to let your property and you can describe the property to them and mm. they'll probably say oh yeah we think you could get between blah 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 and then you put down the phone and then you advertise it yourself um <clears throat> sorry to take business away from agents but um anyway so I advertised it myself on open rent and then um did the viewings there were a lot of like 
not I don't want to say weirdos but you kind of have to sift through the people who I'm someone I've always been a very good judge of character I feel and I'm always about like the feeling that I get when I meet someone so I wanted to meet each of those tenants face to face and feel them out sound them out and the guy that eventually wanted the place he was he was a he had a wife and a young kid and he was a PhD because I said to myself I didn't want students I wanted professionals but he was an older student, a mature student. So I was like, you know what? I think I trust him. And I'm glad that I went with him, actually. He was re- really, really lovely family. Um, and yeah, so he got in. He was really good, paid rent on time. Um, yeah, I never really had any issues with him. And then, unfortunately, he, I think he got an, uh, an opportunity to work somewhere um, outside of the UK. So then he had to cut his, his tenancy short um, and, and left after a year, which was fine. And then I basically followed the same process again. And managed to get some tenants in I mean they they were they were probably my more difficult tenants but um, we'll, we'll definitely talk a bit more about that as well yeah <laughs> oh wow wow just just amazing just even hearing the journey so far um as well um and so you 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 how long have you had that particular uh, property for sorry I think it's been four years now 20 was uh no three it's like 18 19 20, 20 oh my gosh four years four years next month in a few, like literally I, yeah i completed i think it was the 10th of june 2017 yeah and um i guess with that do you is someone sort of as in do you physically need to go there be there or someone managing things on your behalf how did you sort of you know sort that out i guess so i always knew that i wanted at least for the for the first property to do it myself because I'm a big believer in before you can instruct someone to do something you have to have a basic understanding as to how things work because then you you're never going to know if someone's cheating you of your money um and the way I saw it the rent that I was collecting and this is where if you choose to invest in London versus outside of London when people ask me like which one to do I always say it's kind of comes down to you and your circumstances, but I in Nottingham, the rent that you'll get, so this, the property that I have is a two bed end terrace freehold property. And I, uh, at the rent at the moment, back then it was 500 a month. Um, I'm now getting 550, but that is not a lot of rent for a house. Whereas I think in London, a two bed house, you're looking at probably two grand a month. Um, and so where, if you then start involving an agent, an agent's going to take anywhere between sort of, I don't know, 10 to sometimes 20% um, of your monthly rent. And so for me, I was like, do I really want to, and sometimes I'm I'm not going to lie, I've been an agent myself. So I I know how some agents operate. They they don't, it doesn't take that much work. If your property is structurally sound, more or less, and you have good tenants in there that treat it like their own home, the likelihood of of an agent really needing to do call outs or go out to the property is very slim. So for me, I was like, well, I've, there's apps these days that you can basically get people to go and, you know, to your, if something breaks down, you could call a plumber. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to try and do this long distance. And I remember the first few months of having a tenant in the property was tough because um, this particular tenant, he was a really good tenant, but like he would call me for any tiny small thing. Like mm. there's a scratch on the wall, he's calling me, which... I guess he was trying to be prudent because mm-hmm. as part of the tenancy agreement, you have to let your landlord know of any defects or anything like that. But a lot of the stuff he was calling me for, technically he could have dealt with himself. Um, but that was fine because it, it helped me kind of build up a list of contacts. So now I've got a guy who I call 
if there's a plumbing issue, I've got someone I can call if there's an electric issue, all of this kind of stuff. So now that I've got those people on hand, I wouldn't really give my property to a, a managing agent because mm. that's all the managing agent's going to do. They've got that network and contacts of people that they'll send out, but I now have that. So mm. there's no point in me losing an extra 50 quid a month because um, once you once you take the managing fee off and then you take the um, mortgage interest off, that wasn't leaving me with a lot of money um, from the property. And then I had to pay um, income tax on that as well because it was additional income to what I was earning. So really when, when all is said and done, the property probably wasn't making that much. And this is why I tell people always like, property is great. And I think we, in I guess the black community, often people like see property and having property as like this holy grail. But mm. really like once you're in it, you realize it's, it's a lot of headache you know for not that much you know unless you're completely being hands-off and you're giving it to managing agents and you're happy to take that hit in terms of you know having to give some of your money away it, it, there's still headache to it and ultimately as landlords you are still liable if things go wrong you know insure all this kind of stuff so it's stress whereas and, and I think Jax will agree with me here when you're buying into a company I guess it's still stressful you know if you're watching the numbers you know go the the investment value go up and down but at least you're not having to get in there and do, and you know, if something goes wrong with the, with the company that you've invested in, you're not the one going there to fix it. They're having to fix it because they are beholden to their shareholders, which is you. You mm. see, like, so I'm, I'm like, personally, I'm like, I love property, but I'm, I don't know how much of an advocate um, I am for it these days. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm honest with you, if we're being a hundred percent honest, it, it, it's tough. It, it can be tough. Um, you almost have to uh, do a lot and amass a lot, especially if you're investing out of London. Mm. You have to have, you know, a handful of properties before you can really, you know, quote unquote, retire. A lot of people see property as a like, a, you know, a way to retire. But you have to build and invest really quickly and get a lot of properties to then see those returns come through. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm loving that because first of all I'm loving the 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 honesty here, but also you know the grass is green on the other side. But what does that look like? And some of the things you're speaking about in terms of you know having to amass um, amount uh, a certain amount of property, etc. It'll be good to go into a bit more into that. And I know for Jack's um, property investing is just one avenue for him in terms of where he would like to go. So I know Jacks, we always talk about different strategies as well. Do you want to? touch on that and I guess in terms of linking to Faith's journey as well yeah I think I think something Faith mentioned that really caught my attention was um the fact that um she works in the industry she works in real estate and that kind of stuff and she wanted to become a developer and she knew that in order to do this she had to um obviously buy her own property and, and own her own property as an investor first and foremost to get that experience and obviously to be favored um moving down the line and I, and I find that interesting because just the other day I was telling someone, uh, you know, I work within the industry of investment management and I've come across quite a few people that work in the same industry that don't invest in, for example, paper assets such as stocks and shares themselves. Um, and I find that remarkable because the truth of the matter is um, you can only learn so much from your job um, and learn so much from even professional qualifications when you become an investor yourself, the experience alone is different from when you're managing someone else's portfolio or whatever you're doing, mm. some sort of account management. It's very different. Um, and so I encourage 
anyone listening, even if you work within an industry, that doesn't fully qualify you to be a great investor yourself, for example. You need to be doing it yourself because even the, the emotions behind it is different. <laughs> <laughs> so when is it, your money on the line? Wait. It's different. It's different. <laughs> um, what, what I would say is, um, you know, uh, and, and what I want to ask uh, Faith as well is, um, with my knowledge of property, I know there's different strategies. Now, Faith mentioned rent to rent as a as a strategy initially that she was interested in, which doesn't require initial a lot of initial capital to start off with. And then you've got um, obviously the typical buy to let. Now, now Faith, I, I know of things such as um, even when we talk about buy to let, you can buy um, to rent to uh, a, a young family, for example. You can rent to students. You can do things such as multi lets or probably better terms nowadays hmos have house of multiple occupancies um you've even got things like serviced accommodation nowadays um mm. and using your property as an airbnb um and, and there's even more sophisticated strategies such as lease option agreements maybe not all of them but can you touch on a few of them to talk about some of the pros and cons or whether it's something that you've considered or, or you like the idea of yeah sure um so-